Welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Conversion Podcast. Good morning, noon, or night, whenever you're watching this. We appreciate it nonetheless. If you haven't yet, please like, comment, review, subscribe, download, subscribe for the podcast. If you're listening on the audio end, we appreciate it. Just trying to connect with other Christians that are into Web3 here at the Crypto Conversion Podcast. So any and all support is appreciated. And it just creates for more fun conversation in the comments. So, And uh, joining me as usual, Connor and Matt. Guys, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting conversation because... Today, we're going to talk about what it takes to have a Web3 business, um, just kind of the ins and outs of our everyday life. Uh, we all have jobs or have had jobs in some capacity, but um, adding Web3 elements to them kind of creates a nuanced approach to the way that we do things. And it, it's, it could be exciting if more of those get implemented. And so we're going to talk about that kind of at a high level kind of at a basic level it's going to be a combination of both but hopefully we give you some good content nonetheless so let's get into the news this week i um i'm just i just want to kick things off with what we saw on monday with uh credit suisse uh in switzerland i i firmly believe that there that was a bank consolidation in the private sector in Switzerland to prevent the Swiss government from getting involved. Um, I don't know what your guys take was on it, but um, it was just kind of interesting seeing the different press conferences that were happening on the UBS side regarding the acquisition. Some of the things that credit Suisse was saying about why this happened. There's just a collection of just interesting comments and, stories that were trying to be attributed to svb but i think credit suisse had been digging themselves their own hole for quite a while now thoughts i don't have thoughts particularly on credit suisse but i did find it interesting i was listening to uh balaji or balaji i don't know how we've decided we're going to pronounce his name <laughs> But uh, I was listening to him today on the um, the Bankless podcast. Uh, I think the episode they filmed either yesterday or the day before. Sure. But um, one thing that I kind of thought was interesting is he actually says this is a central bank problem. Um, these bank failures, he doesn't blame them on the individual banks. He does blame it on the Fed itself and the way they're manipulating interest rates and creating a playing field that these banks um, can't really succeed in. Um, and his kind of claim is that all of the banks are dealing with this. It's not just these isolated incidents. This really is a, you know, systemic issue. Yeah, it it, it makes sense, right? If if the Fed raised rates to was it four point two five percent now um, after the most recent rate hike, um, you know anybody. You know, all these banks over the last few years when interest rates were super low, you know, they kind of had to lock in, um, you know, I think it was mortgage-backed securities in the case of um, 
uh, SVB and or or even just Treasury bonds were locked in at these lower rates, and um, there's unrealized losses, right? There's there's you know <laughs> almost hope that there isn't a bank run, you know, until um, you know people aren't trying to withdraw until these things mature and they can get into you know lock lock this money into a higher interest uh, yield thing. Um, uh, one thing I thought was interesting about the um, Credit Suisse. Um, we, I think a lot of people are looking at the acquisition as it's interesting to see the difference between SVB and um, Credit Suisse. So there's this acquisition, um, and you know everybody's looking at it as this huge failure of, of this bank, and it's it's getting acquired, and now you have this giant bank. Um, and I almost I almost think that nobody would have batted an eye. Or we would have, but maybe not too much if SVB was acquired by a larger yes. bank, you know, because it's it's not, you know, it wasn't a top five bank. You know, I forgot what we settled on last week, if it was top eight or top 16, but, you know, it wasn't one of the biggest well-known banks. And so um, people would have said, oh, small bank failed. It got acquired by a bigger one. You know, life goes on. Right. But uh, since this was such a big bank and it was able to be acquired by this other big bank, um, I I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say about this. I just think it's kind of an interesting to um, look at the differences there. So uh, who's acquiring when, Credit Suisse when, again? What? Who's acquiring Credit Suisse? Credit UBS. Suisse? So that's the other big private uh, bank in uh, Switzerland. Um, okay. The interesting thing. So UBS, I believe it was the president he, of the bank there. He, I was watching some of his press conference and he was alluding to Credit Suisse being a little too, what do you call it? Like, I guess kind of suffering from the same fate that SVB did in regards to spreading themselves too thin and being a little too risky. Um, and he said that we're acquiring Credit Suisse to bring them into our more conservative culture of UBS. And so th that's kind of like, tell me you're spreading yourself too thin or, you know, buying too much of mortgage rec securities without telling me you're doing that. And I think that he kind of did that. He didn't let the cat out of the bag, you know, banks, usually it's, you know, they keep what what's really going on in lock under lock and key, but it was just kind of an interesting, the way the, the, the public and press were the statements just, were very interesting. Uh, you know, I think we can uh, let's let's create a new adjective for uh, when a bank ends up like this. They just got fed nowed, um, right? Like it's kind of a, a little dad joke there for for the people. I, I recommend everybody look at um, Balaji or Balaji's tweet on on this that he just did a couple hours ago about uh, central bank digital control. I think that. Um, what the points that he's presenting in this model are actually really good. You, uh, did, Matt, did you share it in our little group chat? I, yeah, yeah, I, I shared that, it. I, that tweet was really good, I thought, and very informative. He, yeah, Balaji is definitely, and I know at this point, I think we're all saying his name slightly differently, but Balaji, um, I think is, um, I, I mean, he's he's clearly a smart guy, and so he yeah. wants to be. Um, technically correct. And so that tweet in particular was a response to um, other people who are saying, no, FedNow is not a CBDC. It's not a central bank digital currency. And he said, okay, you're right. It is technically not a central bank digital currency. It's just the payment system, but it essentially has 
within it all of the things that people are worried about a CBDC doing. And he's like, okay, it's not technically a CBDC. It's just all the bad parts, <laughs> you know, or all yeah. the parts that get people worried. You know, there's um, something, I forgot what the line was, but there was uh, appropriate controls was something that, you know, is yeah. going to be applied to every transaction. And so it's like, Ooh, what, what does that mean? That's, that's, you know, that phrase yeah. was hidden somewhere on um, FedNow's website. And so, uh, yeah, if, if they, um, and yeah, I know um, last so week, the line I, is, the line is oh, yeah. complies, complies with applicable controls. Applicable controls. Yeah. Complies yeah. with applicable controls. Um, I know last week I was trying to be optimistic, you know, to say, Hey, may, let's call this the, um, how things change very quickly. Right. Um, I was saying, you know, let's call this the post office, right. We're going to say, um, you know, Hey, maybe this will drive other people to do it better. Um, but it really, it almost seems like they are trying to outcompete, um, you know, and, and draw competition away for convenience sake, because this is, I think, supposed to be a lot better than uh, ACH. Um, and I don't know if it's comparable to Zelle. I, I've never used Zelle, but, um, you know, definitely it's already better than ACH. And so if they just simply drive all the competitions so that, you know, the, the government has a monopoly on um, payment transfers, then yeah, this is, this is, you know, if it's not central bank digital currency, CBDC, it's, you know, apologies point, it's still central bank digital control you know, they're controlling every digital payment. Um, and so one thing I kind of thought about and not to get like off topic on this, but like, it's almost like what made, um, ACH like a better system than what fed now is going to propose is that it's so like slow and old and difficult. And because of that, like you can't really get rid of like a cashless system, but if you create a system that it really is better fed now, it, proposes to be faster, easier to transact, right? Solve a lot of like, you know, personal issues with, with banking. Um, you create a system that makes it much easier to go ahead and centralize control, right? So it's almost like, uh, you know, people's, well, at least the libertarian claim on government, like we want government to be slow. We want it to be kind of cumbersome so that yeah. you know, regulation doesn't get passed um, so easily. And And doesn't this speak to the... Now let's get into the Christian component of this is the, the fact that government is getting more involved in some of these things that they weren't, I mean, they were involved, but it was more so from a 30,000 foot view. Now it's like, let's get, uh, you know, let's get our hands in and start, you know, kneading the dough. Um, it comes down to the immorality of a culture as a whole, which causes the government to get more involved. The more government gets involved with the culture, the means that it means that the culture itself is more immoral on its own. And that's just kind of the call that we have out of that, you know, out of that, you know, human drive to kind of be and live in our sin. And as Christians, we're called outside of that. And, Right now, it just seems like things keep going in certain directions. Government keeps getting more involved because things keep getting quote unquote worse. And and I don't know what. And that's why I'm I'm on the team of uh, we, we need revival or bust. Like that's 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 where I kind of sit with it. Um, we haven't really talked about this yet, but that's just kind of my thoughts on it. Um, retrospectively looking at it. Uh, so let's. 
I, go ahead, Matt. I know this wasn't in our um, lineup for the news, so I sorry for throwing go this ahead. in there. Yeah. But I had recently seen. I don't know if you all saw this. Um, some uh, representative um, in the House um, proposed a bill, and and he did so. It was I. Th- I saw the tweet from the Republican guy, and he said he proposed the bill with the Democrats. So they're trying to do this bipartisan thing. Um, and they wanted. It was very s- simply written, um, and it is about. Um, uh, developing blockchain development and they want, you know, to, was it to Emmer? Kind of, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That was it. Shout out Emmer. Most crypto friendly congressman from Minnesota. Let's go. Oh, it, Minnesota. Great. Yeah. yeah. I so, cloud area. Yep. I do think this is nice. He, you know, so you do see, and and I guess you wonder, you know, where the government's made up of a bunch of people, right? So you definitely have people in, in different camps. Um, I thought this was a, a great, um, and we'll see exactly how it plays out, but I, I think it is a great, um, a good crypto regulation. It kind of, um, it, you know, draws a distinction between, um, you know, does your system that you developed, do you retain control over user funds? Um, because in that case, you know, you should be held liable and treated as a custodian. Um, or, you know, have you built this in a way that you actually People can use it, but you are not actually in control of user funds. You know, in that case, you are not transferring money. You are not a financial institution for doing that. Um, and I just, I know there's one, uh, there's a case or two of of um, politicians trying to get after, um, you know, even people running nodes. There were certain, um, you know, legislation maybe proposed or regulation proposed that, you know, running a node might be considered, you know, just by holding that information of, of people's transactions, you know, might even be considered, um, you know, processing those money transfers. And so, um, this is, is a system that says, no, like you don't have any control over that. So you are clearly not, um, I, I I don't know. So I do want to say, I I think there's, there's light out there and there's, there's definitely good and bad, um, stuff being proposed out there. And so I'd, I'd like to not only discourage the bad, but also encourage, um, some of the good stuff going on. Absolutely. And I spoke with my congressman about this a couple of weeks ago with, um, you know, pushing whatever Emmer is doing because Emmer, Tom Emmer is going to be on our side with this in this fight right now. Um, on the crypto side, I don't agree with everything Emmer stands with politically speaking, but on the crypto stuff, I'm, I'm with him in lockstep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just hope that more Republican congressmen are there as well. Um, and, uh, you know, this, hopefully that pushes us over the edge to being regulated by the commodity exchange commission, as opposed to the sec. So we shall see what happens though in Washington, that that's a different beast altogether. Speaking of Washington, um, the sec dropped a very fun uh, caution with uh, crypto assets and securities. So um, everybody uh, that's invested in cryptocurrency, please be wary of bullets, volatility and illiquidity in crypto market assets, the potential for the company holding your crypto assets to fail or go bankrupt, unpredictability, including that the market for a particular crypto asset security may disappear altogether, or the crypto asset security may no longer be tradable anywhere. Sometimes highly concentrated opaque ownership and control structures, enforcement of laws and regulations by federal, state, or foreign governments that may restrict the use and exchange of crypto assets, 
unauthorized lending or transfers of customers, crypto assets, securities, or halting of customer withdrawals, the inability for an investor to be made whole should fraud, default, or a mistake occur, technical glitches, hacking, or malware, and lack of investor prote protections due to crypto assets, securities, entities not acting in compliance with applicable law. So watch out, everybody. Watch out. It just it's just such a hilarious notice. Um the SEC just comes out with great jokes, I feel like, once a once a, once every other week these days. Um, you know, it's funny. I think Dave Hoffman from would would shout out Bankless this week. They've been hitting the the news circuit hard with all of this and he just tweeted out, I think in one section of this whole notice, just crossed out crypto and put banking industry and I'm just like Good job. This that this is just funny. So it, it's so funny the SEC does this as they're withholding Voyager um, Voyager investors or people that had crypto in Voyager to not get made whole from Binance. It's totally the SEC picking and choosing who they want to ride with. And who did the SEC decide to ride with the most? SBF and FTX. It's like, who are you to start picking and choosing the winners and losers in this game when you guys were with the most fraudulent offshore entity in the space? It's just, it's just hysterical hypocrisy. And, uh, it, it, we just kind of sit here like, what, where, what is Ginsler going to do today to make this worse for everybody? So I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that, but I just found that hysterical. I I mean, like, he didn't lie, uh, you know, in that SEC warning. Like, no. it is true that, like, you, and maybe this is, like, helpful advice. Like, hey, if you're going to go into the depths of, like, DeFi, you know, like, um, and some project just launched, like, it could get rug pulled, right? You could lose the liquidity altogether. Um, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I feel like it doesn't apply to some of the blue chips, like, you know, mm -hmm. Ethereum, um, Bitcoin, and then, um, but, I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. He didn't, they didn't lie, but the, the timing is just um, uncanny with all Impeccable, the other stuff going right? on. Yeah, it's, um, I think the timing makes it seem, you know, to be more of a, attack on that was dropped crypto. today too like that was today march 23rd so watch just, out everybody that's been in crypto uh it, yeah. it's uh it's it's a it's it's scary i guess so i mean it just kind of uh you know like i says um um it adds credence to what balaji is saying in a way it mm -hmm. really seems like they are after crypto they're after kind of those exit strategies from fiat so to, to I, I don't know if the, we want to wrap out the news cycle with this, but um, the Bology's bet, right? So all, we keep oh, talking sure. about Bology. You know, he has, um, you know, bet a million dollars that Bitcoin will be worth more than a million dollars at, uh, you know, after 90 days. Um, I I think, and just one thing I want to plug in here, I, if you guys have thoughts as well, I, that, that that's great as well. I love talking about it. But um, one thought I want to plug in here, I've seen, um, you know, a number of people critique his bet of a million dollars in, you know, uh, <laughs> 90 days where, where they're like looking at, you know, the current um, state of the economy, you know, and they're like, hmm, you know, you'd have to have that much buying pressure and like, could it really support that high of a market cap? Um, and it's like, 
no like he's not saying um like you know everything else will stay the same and bitcoin will be worth a million dollars he's like <laughs> his point is that like inflation will be so bad that you know bitcoin you know the dollar will devalue so much that bitcoin will be worth a million of them right so like like i i think maybe it's helpful to think you know so bitcoin goes up what 30 or 40 times to get to a million dollars you know so say okay you know a dozen eggs are a hundred dollars you know and a loaf of bread is you know sixty dollars and you know then hopefully it starts to make a little more sense you know when he says bitcoin is a million dollars he's also saying you know everything else is probably also 30 to 40 times as um as much you know because that's 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 a great evaluation thanks for yeah thanks for distinguishing that because that that is a he's a really smart guy so it's sometimes difficult to understand him in layman's terms so um but I recommend one of the best follows on Twitter right now by far. Um, I I really wish I would have known about the network state and everything so much sooner because it's such interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, I'll be willing to show that that uh, those materials also because it's really well put out there. Um, last news segment: CEO Brian Armstrong for Coinbase sold ninety thousand shares of Coinbase uh, the past thirty days. So. Yeah, that's all. That period. Yep. All right. Um, so Web3 business. Connor, how would we get that started? I apologize for the abrupt transition, but uh, let's just uh, let's get into it. Yeah. So the question today is how can we, I guess, um, bootstrap a business that wants to move to Web3 and move to the blockchain? And so the question is kind of a, you have a, let's say a small business, because it's easier to kind of think about. Um, and uh, they use a lot of centralized tools to basically conduct their business online. They have a website, they have, um, you know, PayPal or, or whatever they do to receive payments. Uh, they're going to have, you know, they have to have some way to communicate with their clients. Uh, they're going to need some way to promote their business online. Uh, and then they also look for maybe employees online and, you know, they, they source talent that way. There's a few activities, maybe there's some more that in a list there, but uh, there's a few other ways that they're going to use the internet to basically run their business. And most companies, it's very rare to find a company today, I think we can all agree, that is totally offline, that, you know, runs business without using the internet at all. Most of them rely on the internet in um, pretty sizable ways. And the problem with that is, especially uh, if you're anything that could be considered, you know, potential, potentially, uh, poten- potentially um, divisive or, uh, you know, something that the government would want to regulate, you open yourself up to a lot of risk um, of basically losing all of your business at once. You know, I think uh, a lot of people in the firearms industry have been dealing with this for many years. Um, and then more recently uh also a lot of christians and um anything that's you know maybe potentially uh conservative uh you know pushing conservative issues like right to life or whatever um has also been kind of facing these types of risks so because of that and because so much business happens online um companies need to find some way to decentralize and move to web three and hopefully be able to replicate what they're doing on web two in the same way. So the question for today is, 
can that be done? How can it be done? And then where, where are the bottlenecks? Um, you know, what kind of still needs to be fixed to make this transition totally happen? So, yeah, I just listed five there, five kind of avenues for business um, to move to Web3. And I think the one that most people think about is decentralizing payments. I mean, this is what started the whole Web3 narrative, right, with Bitcoin. It's been all about, you know, transacting, receiving and uh, spending money without using, you know, centralized fiat. So maybe if we just wanted to start there, I know you, Brandon, had, uh, you know, some personal thoughts about how, if you were starting a business, what you would use to accept and, um, you know, transact with crypto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think like starting out, I, if so, say I have a small business today or I want to start a small business and I just want to accept like Bitcoin or Ethereum or crypto in general as a payment, um, I honestly think that after after almost starting a small business myself and i guess you know we we're kind of starting small business here um with what we're doing um i would start a BitPay account um to just start getting crypto for you know my product or my service um i know that BitPay is very centralized in its makeup but at least i have a way to accept about 16 different currency cryptos uh, cryptocurrencies as payment um for for what i'm doing obviously i'd i'd push um customers to pay in bitcoin but say for whatever reason they have a crap ton of litecoin Dai, apecoin polygon ethereum i mean it, it i wish that bitpay didn't have so many of the meme coins and the stable coins, but at least you have the big two there in Bitcoin and Ethereum. That would be like great starting points. And then I could move. I, I mean, you could use BitPay to pay employees in crypto to their wallets and things like that. And uh, obviously the unfortunate component is you're being held hostage to a centralized entity, but you can always move that crypto to your own, you know, hardware wallets or multi-sig wallets, etc. Depending on what crypto you you want to receive for that payment, I just like that you can accept a lot of different ones for doing the same service. So it's just multiple different ways to get paid. And uh, but I I totally understand wanting a more decentralized model, which you two were referring to earlier. I, just out of curiosity, um, I does I feel like I've looked into BitPay just a little bit. Um, do you know? Do they swap it kind of on the spot? So like I say, you know, I let BitPay know that I want to get paid in Bitcoin, and so even if somebody uses Litecoin, it like, do you know if they do that? Like they. So I don't know the if they have. I don't know if they have that swap feature, but I'm pretty sure you have to enable the different currencies you want to get paid in so i for me if i'm starting a small business i want to get paid as many ways possible so sure. i would just i would just open up all of them but i totally understand if you're like i'm team bitcoin for life and i want to have that more than anything else and you just have customers pay you in bitcoin or eth even so i'm pretty sure you can control those levers behind the scenes i haven't tested it out myself i really want to but um, I think you have the ability to control that. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and I know you alluded to it. I was kind of talking to you and actually Connor as well earlier um, that I think um, I, I, my issue with BitPay is, is that it would, it's, it's still centralized, right? So this is, you know, like, Hey, instead of visa or maybe in addition to visa, I'm also going to open, you know, so maybe you're, you're diversifying yourself by saying, Hey, I'm going to accept visa, MasterCard, Amex, and, you know, BitPay, right? And so now I have, have different avenues in case one of them fails. Um, I, I, I don't know. I like <laughs> to truly go decentralized, you know, I, I don't know. I could just set up a, a wallet. Like you said, I can just set up a hardware wallet and say, Hey, pay this address. You know, I could um, set up if I wanted to do lightning network, I could set up a lightning node and say, Hey, just pay this address, you know, right. wherever that is, um, you know, whatever blockchain, whatever token, whatever, um, you know, L2, I want to be on for cheaper fees. I can, I can say, I, and so there's part of me that, you know, I, I like that BitPay, um, you know, enables the usage of cryptocurrencies a little better. Um, but I, think to really get at the heart of it. Um, I, and I like the BitPay is, is a simple process. You just have to sign up and get a wallet and then you have something for people to um, send to. But I think, um, I, I don't know, I, I'd like to see, you know, business as they, as if, if the whole future is Web3, if, if we'd start to shift more and more Web3, I'd like to see people move away from BitPay to more of a self custody, you know, either this is a hardware wallet, this is a hardware wallet that has, you know, multi-sig capabilities so that, you know, it's not a single person in charge of it or uh, things like that. Um, I'd, I'd like to just see more things like that. I kind of, I know you had a couple other options that were not bit pay. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't look into them enough though, to see whether or not they were more or less centralized or decentralized. Yeah, I think, one interesting option is Strike, which is Jack Mallow's kind of payment uh, ecosystem that he's been developing. And he's a super pro Bitcoin guy, if you don't know him. Uh, he's been a speaker at uh, the Bitcoin conference a couple of years and is kind of pioneering a lot of lightning network uh, solutions for payment, for receiving and sending payments. Um, strike with a K, not strike Stripe. K. Not Stripe. Yeah. Funny enough, I think Stripe is um, is Twitter Jack is somewhat invested in that. Am I right? Because he's another Bitcoin guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I just I, I just love right. that Strike and Stripe are both payment, but it's like it's so different because Stripe is like what you what every small online Shopify store uses, and then Strike is like totally not what stripe is from a centralization standpoint well the interesting thing about what uh what jack Mahler was working on and i haven't seen this develop but supposedly he was in talks uh to basically open up um crypto payments at companies so that you could you could go to like big name companies like you know walmart yeah. or your grocery store or gas cvs i think he was in talk with like cvs and walgreens and things like that and you cool. could pay them from your lightning wallet with strike and the company would receive it, and the, of course, the Strike app would automatically convert it to money that you know CVS and Walgreens wants. But you could actually go and use your Bitcoin to pay for things that way with their app and with their integrations, and with the the partnerships that they were you know talking about. I haven't I heard that at the Bitcoin conference. He did a big you know reveal about it. I haven't seen development on that yet, but it is something interesting because, of course, you know as we all know, it's very difficult to actually use Bitcoin out in the real world right now. Uh, so you do kind of want 
those types of partnerships so, so long as fiat continues to be a payment system you want easy ways to transact that way but going yeah. back to the the uh the small business um you know uh example so if you're a small business and you're worried that maybe your payment systems could potentially get it shut off you do want a totally decentralized system and so bitpay you know it's still going to have to be tied to probably a bank account and i haven't looked that much into bitpay but i understand that's probably how it works so if you do lose your bank account or you know your ability to transact that way then that solution is not going to work for you but you do want to keep your options open so that's a good option uh you know accepting obviously credit cards and what not is a good option but then ultimately like matt is saying i think probably the best option is to also have your bitcoin wallet and your you know your metamask or your eth wallet and anybody who wants to pay you that way is more than welcome to and start to kind of prime i guess your client base in such a way about you know kind of these methods of payment and i have seen a lot of businesses doing that uh is because it's becoming easier and e easier to do so that's a that's a good solution uh and then the only other one that i did look into was um this one that was called btc pay not BitPay, BTC Pay, and that's Bitcoin only. But what was interesting about it is, uh, particularly I was looking at uh, for a financial planner I help, um, she invoices a lot of her clients. So she needed something that would allow her to invoice a client, and then maybe they pay a week later. So if you invoice them in Bitcoin, um, you know, a week later, the, the value of Bitcoin has changed. That makes it very difficult to deal with. Uh, yeah. without using some sort of centralized service like Strike. So what was interesting about BTC Pay is you could host your own um, server, basically, uh, with this with this uh, application. And then you could invoice your clients um, for whatever the value is that you need them to pay in, say, fiat. Uh, and then it, it opens at the moment of payment when they decide to pay. Maybe it's a week later. Maybe it's a month later. It opens up the portal. Uh, to pay and it does that conversion um, right there in the moment so that you're getting in Bitcoin the amount that you actually need, right? And um, and it's self-hosted, so there's no centralized risk that way, which is very convenient. Uh, of course, the only problem with all of these is that the small businesses kind of opened up to the risk of you're holding Bitcoin now and yeah. you know, that could potentially lose value, right? But uh, you have you have options, which is what's interesting with um, with decentralized payments. Now you can choose to hold your Bitcoin, or you can choose to trade it for stable coins. You can choose whatever you want with it, but um, you know you can't prevent. You can't. Uh, they can't stop people from paying you, which is what makes a decentralized <laughs> system yeah. so much better, right? I, I I like that. I it almost seems like BTC Pay is the opposite of Strike. Strike right. the customer pays in Bitcoin, you know, on the Lightning Network, and then it converts to fiat for the um, person getting paid. And then BTC mm -hmm. pay, it sounds like the opposite, like that the other person's paying in fiat, and then it's converting to the value. You know, it's, it's uh, or are you saying that it's, I, they're still paying in Bitcoin, but it's, um, you know, the value is changing to whenever they actually pay me. Sorry, with BTC pay? Yeah, with BTC. They're pay. paying, the customer is paying in Bitcoin. Okay. But the value, the, the value of Bitcoin that they're paying, um, I see. Okay. okay. Yeah, it gets set at the point of payment, right? So it allows invoices to work that way. So one thing I forgot to mention about Strike, though, is Strike integrates with, I believe, from what I remember, integrates with your Lightning Wallet. So you can accept BTC directly to your Lightning Wallet, 
or you can choose to use Strike's fiat conversion to automatically convert it to to cash, so um, or to USD. Um, so it, it it is friendly to people who prefer to transact mostly with Bitcoin, but then also sometimes need you know to lock in how much money they're getting and not subject it to uh, to price risk. Sure. What else do you need for a uh, Web3 business? Yeah, I figured we could kind of just go down and, uh, you know, kind of just uh, game theory this out. Um, you know, okay, I'm a small business. What what aspects of my presence online do I need to move to the blockchain? So, yeah, payments is a big one. The next big one in my mind is your website. Like, can you have a decentralized website? Because that is a big risk. You do see websites going down. Because usually what happens is either, uh, I mean, we saw this, um, I'm trying to think, uh, what was it? It was the social media, the uh, Parler, right? Yeah, Parler got canceled because they were on the AWS servers. Right, Amazon Web Services. And after January 6th, they were saying that, um, you know, people who organized January 6th were using Parler and coordinating. Which, funny enough, that wasn't really the case. Perler wasn't used that much at all. But they no. did decide to go after Perler um, because of that. And Amazon Web Services basically terminated um, their hosting, right? So the website disappears like that. And, and then, and then the, C- the CEO for Parler gets famous and then turns out he's not even... Like he he's not even legit with what the site stands for to begin with. It was just an irony of circumstances. So yeah, yeah but not to get off topic. Yeah, that was a strange. That was a strange. Uh, I believe the CEO now, and I, I think it's a different CEO. I think they've yeah, changed. Yeah, it's the CEO now it's is a diff- husband. It's totally different Allen. leadership now. They voted okay. him out as soon as he started saying <laughs> some that stuff. Yeah, yeah, interesting case. But so yeah, so hosting pr- and a lot of big websites. Um, I mean, small websites too, like not very many people run their own server. So usually you need some sort of hosting services uh, because, well, you don't need it. Like, yeah, you could totally host it yourself, but um, it's it's difficult to do for most consumers. Most consumers need... Well, our um, favorite, one of our favorite people, Michael Matheson Miller would say, you you need your own servers. Very much yeah, so. Yeah, and I mean, from the Catholic Crypto Conference, we all remember I think uh, Brian Brown, who runs what is sure. it, the Institute for uh, for Marriage or something like that. Something like that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's he was dealing with that as well. With um, he's building a, a decentralized kind of cloud server, not decentralized. Sorry, a it's partially decentralized, but it's a uh, it's a large cloud server hosting solution for companies that are at that kind of risk. Um, That's awesome. They won't censor, mm-hmm. which is good. But of course, there is also Web3 solutions. Um, sure. So you have that. You have the hosting problem. And then you also have the domain name problem. Uh, and DNS is good. Once you buy a domain name, you can pretty much keep it. DNS is a uh, is a nonprofit. You know, I don't know what you call that kind of uh, collective. Um, it's a public good, I guess, is what you would call it. Uh, they... They they don't so far, and it's not that this is impossible. But once you buy your domain name, basically you're good to go. You can keep it. You do have to renew it. But actually, the problem is the uh, the registros, which are kind of the go betweens, because you can't you don't interact directly with DNS. These big registros do. So you basically need to register your domain name through one of these registros, 
And uh, what happens is a lot of these registrars will drop, um, you know, certain uh, domain name holders uh, from the service, which means that if they drop you, if you go to, you know, Google Chrome or whatever, and you type in, you know, well on uh, twitter.com and if Twitter gets dropped, then it's not going to make that connection. You're not going to be able to get to Twitter. So that's another uh, area of websites that is open to kind of centralization risk. So you have the two, you have the, the uh, domain names and you have the actual hosting services themselves. So. So I, um, I, I, I am curious what the thoughts are around that. I know IPFS can host a website, but I think um, I like, to me, it seems like IPFS would be good to host a static website. Um, but if I wanted to like, um, you, you know, I, I don't know if IPFS would host Facebook, right. Or Twitter, right. Where there's, there's, you know, you have to be storing all this data and, and things are changing, um, as you're going. Um, I, I don't know, you know how, I, I guess really I should look more into IPFS. I don't know if they would be able to do something like that, but as far as I've seen, um, I've, I've seen solutions where people have done um, ENS domains and then they were able to put a static web page on IPFS that kind of, you know, redirects, um, the ENS redirects there. Um, but yeah, brandontim.eth. Yeah, exactly. I, I visit that website all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> but but uh, I just, I don't know that you'd be able to handle all of the um, uh, you know, it's it's a file storage, so any like interactions that happen are can only be on the client side, right? When I pull up that website, you know, I can interact with it, but it's only happening on my computer. I don't know that you know you can have these true server side interactions where um, you know your data is being stored somewhere, or you know whether it's your login information, or or um, you know you post a tweet and it's stored on the server so anyone can see it, right? Not just. Uh, you know, something that's happening on your own machine. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm curious whether there's a, um, yeah, decentralized server like that. I know we talked about Arweave in some other, um, thing, but even then, I don't know if Arweave, um, is able to, you know, simply hold data or if it, you know, is also, um, I don't know, all, all these interactions that you would want in a server, um, if, if it's able to handle those. I think that's the most difficult part is kind of um, handling, like you say, the interactions, uh, because actually, believe it or not, so a lot of a lot of blockchain front ends are not decentralized. They're hosted on Amazon Web Services or they're hosted on whatever server, right? So, for example, it's like so the Tornado Cash from the sanctions. Say again. It's so accessible. Like, why wouldn't you? Right. So, like Tornado Cash with the um, when the sanctions hit, and I think I'm remembering this correctly. Uh, the website went down, and the big reason the website went down, Tornado Cash, whatever it is, dot com or whatever, is the registrar got, um, you know, sh immediately shut them off, basically. Uh, but then also whatever hosting service they were using would have shut them off too. But most most protocols, not I want to say most, a lot of protocols actually do have two front ends. Um, there's a lot of protocols who do like to host their website on ENS, oh, sorry, on um, IPFS. So I'm, I'm trying to think, like, it's very, it's, it's a very simple, right, graphic user interface in a way. Uh, and you're pretty much just entering 
your wallet address or whatever, your amount, you do, you're performing interactions on the blockchain. So in a sense, the blockchain is the server. And that's kind of what Web3 ultimately is intending to do. Uh, so your ETH chain or your layer two or whatever is going to be your server that's kind of performing all of these whatever transactions or whatever interactions you need it to do. And then IPFS is just your your face in a way. It's just file storage. Mm-hmm. So ideally all these things work together, but how much do they work together? And this is why I said small business, because I think it's much easier from a small business perspective to figure out, yeah, that's doable. That can be done in a decentralized fashion. Um, but the reason Brian Brown is kind of creating his hosting service um, is because you need for big, you know, big companies, uh, you kind of need a more uh, optimized system. And I'm not so sure that Web3 can do that yet. I'm not sure it can't yeah, either, but I don't feel a, like there's a lot a of people corporate who level. That's a different conversation, I think, for another episode with somebody yeah. that might be a little more uh, savvy in that world than ourselves. Because at a corporate level, you're talking about a board, shareholders, a lot of different entities that kind of have the whole eyes on them from a 30,000 foot view. So, well, not 30,000 even. It's can sometimes be a lot closer than that. So, um, it's not the. It, it would definitely be more beneficial at a small business level in the state that we're in right now, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess so. Like I was talking like Facebook and Twitter or um, in a sense, Noster is doing that. I know we've mentioned them a few times. It's mm, a decentralized yeah. Twitter, if you will, you know, and, and I suppose it could also be, you know, if you interface it the right way, you could, you know, create something that looks like Telegram and and a few other platforms, I believe. Um, But even that, I guess that is less. um, Gosh, sorry, I'm trying to think how to say this like that is a specific type of platform that they built a specific type of decentralized solution to. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So it's not like, oh, Facebook wants to host their stuff somewhere, so they're going to host it. You know, this is how they would do it. It's like, okay, no, if you want to run a messaging platform, Noster will cover it. You know, they won't be able to cover, you know, I, I don't know, any other um, type of thing, but it, it will be able to cover yeah. that. Um, I, and, but that is good because it, it is, again, similar. You know, you have, um, however it works on the back end is, is the server. Then you just, you can interface it, you know, however you want. And that it's like you said, it's the, the front end and the, the server are kind of separated like that. Yeah, Web3 separates the servers and the um, kind of the file storage um, front ends in a way that we don't really think about, I think, in traditional computing. At least I don't. But um, yeah, so t- to that point, though, I think I think it's doable for most small businesses to fully host a website on, say, IPFS. Because uh, you... You can you can host HTML basically, right? Any HTML sure. website um, on IPFS, and there's a number of services out there that I've looked into that try to make this as easy as possible for people who maybe aren't technically savvy, right? A lot of companies use WordPress. Obviously, you can't host WordPress on IPFS, but you can host the HTML output that mm-hmm. WordPress is creating on IPFS. 
Uh, so because of that, there's a number of services that kind of help you basically create your website and then post it to IPFS for you. And then with your ENS domain, which we've talked about in the past, you can buy an ENS name, right? And you can point that to your, an IPFS hash location. And does that solve all your problems? Not necessarily, because then how do you, how does, uh, you know, how do people find you? You need some sort of resolver uh, that is going to connect the ENS domain to the website and right from the customer's perspective, at least most of us are used to pulling up on our browser and looking up, you know, twitter.com and it takes us to that lo that destination, which is the mm -hmm. server that Twitter is hosted on. Uh, so there's not, it's not fully workable. It is workable if you're using Brave browser because they have a in built-in integration. Shout out so Brave. So if I would have type in brandontim.eth to Brave browser, it would resolve to whatever uh, your ENS domain is pointed to. Yeah, and then you can send me some ETH or Litecoin or Bitcoin. I can send you ETH or Litecoin or, or I could, right? Or I could <laughs> connect to your IPFS website if you put that in the, the sure. content hash. Um, but if your customer is not using Brave, then it's too difficult for them to work. There's other, there's other integrations now that I'm remembering with ENS, actually, because brandontim.eth dot link will oh, yeah. on any browser will take you to um whatever the ENS uh interesting domain is is uh, pointed towards. But that's a that's a centralized DNS um workaround. So is it possible that that gets cut off? Yeah. Um but still the the integrations are happening. So it's doable. You can host a website on web three now. That's awesome. What's next? I think the big, the next biggest thing that you would have to find a way to solve is like, how do you communicate with your clients? Right. And I'm not totally sure there's a solution for that in web three, at least not one that I've been totally satisfied with. Well, I think, so I guess I, let's talk about what most people use still today. I'm still in uh, Microsoft Teams is definitely debunking this a little bit from an internal communication standpoint in big corporations, but email is still just the way that outside entities still communicate in most corporate settings. Yeah, Microsoft Teams, you're able to chat with your coworkers in house, but if I need to email, if I need to talk to somebody from another company. I have to like physically approve them to be able to teams me or everything is email or a phone call still, or I have to set up a meeting with them to be invited on my company's teams uh, server. Um, and so and Microsoft now has all this power BI stuff that we use in the corporate world. It's actually really impressive stuff from what you can do from like charts and data configurations and things like that but it's very highly centralized and um i'd say for a communication standpoint i love what proton mail has right now and if you pay for proton mail you can have a customized um you can have a customized email for with your company's name so you can essentially pay to be able to use proton mail servers to have your own company's email through ProtonMail. 
So um, that'd be my recommendation right now if I were to do this. And if I actually, they make it very feasible. If I were to start a small business today, I would pay for ProtonMail. Um, it's fairly reasonably priced. Um, I believe it's charged per address. And uh, you also get a bigger um, bigger amount of storage on the on in on the email inbox too by paying for it. So I, I think Proton Mail is the best solution right now. You get a seed phrase. Um seems to be one of the most secure email uh op- options for people today, in in my opinion. I I'll look I'll get the cost quick while I'm while I'm here. Sure. Is Proton Mail decentralized? Um it's not decentralized now, it's a centralized okay. uh okay. service. So but it is encrypted. That's okay. the, that's the beauty of it is the encryption. Yeah, not not decentralized, but yeah. So if I, I want to I, if I, I want to upgrade my plan, essentially, you're paying like seven ninety nine a month um, for fifteen email addresses, uh, some cut three custom email domains, and uh, basically the whole suite of what uh, Proton Mail offers, which is really great because Proton Mail's very secure, um, obviously not decentralized, but good option, uh, kind of a, a Web3 esque, Web3 adjacent uh, service. So, yeah. I think um, I, I kind of wonder if part of the reason this like problem hasn't been entirely solved on Web3 is because there hasn't entirely been a need for it. Like, we don't really see email being compromised right now. I think the most centralized you can get email right now is probably like Gmail, right? And sure, like you, you get locked out of your account pretty regularly. Actually, if they terminate your Google account, I'm curious if that's ever happened. I'm sure it has. They terminate spam bots all the time. Um, yeah. They ask you to know what they do is they ask you to prove your identity, right? So to get back in, yeah, that's the, that's the real, that's how they get you. But, uh, yeah, I feel like there's there's enough diversity of solutions out there. And the beauty of it is, of course, the email standard is a protocol is standardized. So you could use any other service and communicate with anybody else's email, right? So, um, but the one problem with Web3 is the public nature of the blockchain. And I feel like you have to solve for privacy to really make uh, Web3 communications work. Um, which is really a shame that they're going after Tornado Cash and, and other privacy protocols because that's that's kind of really the basis of a lot of what happens online. Like you need privacy. Like I feel yeah, like you would but need we don't we don't want people communicating with North Korea, Connor. So I know. Yeah. Like you need ZK Snook technology. That's really the solution in the Web three world. Is you need that, but applied to like a messaging system. Sure. Well, I I wonder if you need that or if you need. Um... So ZK Snark helps with um, Tornado Cash, but um, you just need uh, encryption, right? To say, you know, if, if it's if every message is encrypted in a way that you know my private key can unlock, you know, the message and I can read it, um, then yeah. I wouldn't need. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you could put every message on the blockchain, you know, and it's it's nobody can read them, you know, un- unless right. somebody had the correct private key. I, I I don't know how you would do that. Yep. I'm not that skilled. Well, at doing yeah, these maybe things, like I don't I think fully you, understand. Mm-hmm. If you have something that's encrypted and it's released, you know, then then only someone with the key can open it, right? They they can't um, 
you know, um, I, I I don't know. And so that might be nice. I I am curious though whether um, and so that would be uh, maybe a true blockchain solution if you're publishing all the messages on the blockchain. Um, but even if you were trying to integrate a Web three, um, gosh, I'm just I'm just trying to think of this. And I like you said the email like protocol is is standard, so that you know obviously any email address can send an email to any email address. Um, I I think the problem if you wanted an, a web three version is you'd have to like bootstrap it somehow so that you could have a hybrid, right? Like it's not like, Oh, I can only email people in web three, but like, because everybody else uses email so much, you would, you need a solution that, um, you know, at least temporarily does both like a know? bridge. Yeah. A bridge and, and even if it did both, even if like, you know, I had my, um, you know, my email address at, you know, Matt at cryptoconversion.eth, right? Um, is my email. You create a bridge for that though. It, this, this, the guaranteed security might not be there, unfortunately. And that's, you know, it, that'd be an interesting one to think about is like, how could you keep it interoperable so that if you did try to convert to the dark side of web three, would you still be able to reach out? to uh to the muggles that are still in web 2 you know so that's sure. the that's all the things that worth considering but, for sure it's kind of the same but, thing with the payment system right can you have something yeah. that does both yep. that's kind of what's mm-hmm. nice about like strike is yep. that you can do both no and i guess you're right that is a good parallel to the payment system because I'm, I'm saying you know i either need you know matt at cryptoconversion.eth and matt at cryptoconversion.com you know for yep. like to be able to, you know, send emails with people in the dot com yep. world and to send emails to people in the Web three world, right? Um, or yeah, like is the, I, I wonder if there'll be a solution where somebody says, "Hey, look, I'm going to make something that hosts normal mail for a dot eth account," yeah. but you can also send if you're sending to another dot eth, it would. I, I don't know. I, I guess I wonder whether we'll see um, a hybrid solution or if we'll see just a competing solution. So you'll have, you know, you have to have two accounts to say, I'm going to do the web two way and the web three way. Sure. Um, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I have seen an interesting project that um, uses, that is supposedly using ENS to uh, to send communications and they're encrypted. I saw this probably eight or nine months ago and I haven't kept up with it. It was called DM3, but it was an interesting proposal and they were looking for grants um, to continue developing that protocol. Uh, so that would allow you to basically send encrypted messages to other ENS uh, names, right? Mm-hmm. And um, with the encryption, of course, the privacy. So it has a lot of good solutions there. I'm not so sure it would solve the problem that you're speaking of, which is like, okay, then how do I use that to communicate with someone that's not on Web3? The only thing I, I am curious about is, like you say, right, a lot of, um, a lot of people who have business emails have their business email tied directly to the domain. Um, so it's going to be right. Matt at, I don't actually know how to pronounce your last name. Baggers, Baggersinski.com. Right. So, um, ENS does allow you to port in your old domain. If you wanted to use that as your web three identity, you Mm -hmm. could port in a name that you have from DNS, uh, and use basically ENS's uh, hashing, you know, database to connect wallet addresses and everything else to that name. 
So I'm somewhat curious if you had a mail protocol that worked through ENS, if you could then have a workaround that also allowed it to connect to your web two email and maybe integrate things that way. Mm-hmm. Again, I really don't know, but just a thought. Sure. Um, I, sorry, I, I am looking at the time and not that we're on a strict, strict schedule, but um, I, I was curious kind of if you wouldn't mind if I threw in, um, I know we were talking about ticketing um, and things like that before, some kind of special cases. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think if we're talking about Web3 businesses, I think um, there is a case to be made um, uh, for for maybe certain industries, right? So, um, for example, I, I think NFT ticketing will be the next big thing, you know, or I, I think that'll not the next big thing. I think that'll be um, a big thing in the future. And I think it'll be um, I, maybe a driving force to get a lot more people on Google. Um, yeah. Web3, well, three, right. Google wallet has already like, I have all of my tickets from certain concerts that I went to that I bought from StubHub or Ticketmaster on my Google wallet. So it is kind of being used already in the web two space. But I think that, the web three space will incentivize that even more like we've been talking for sure. Yeah, exactly. No. And and I want to mention that too, right? You have a Google wallet, you're an Apple wallet and it holds your tickets, right? And especially with Apple pay, I think there's Google pay as well, right? Like they're almost, they're poising themselves like in in the right position to, you know, say, all right, okay, now it's, (laughs) It's it's a crypto, you know, and, and now it interacts with the blockchain like like they're already um, doing all these stuff, all these things just internally. Um, uh, but what I want to be particular about is that um, I think Web3 can help um, cut out the middleman with some of these things. So like an yeah. airline, you know, if you buy an airplane ticket, like you buy it from the airline. Like if you go through a third party like Expedia or any of those other travel websites, like you're mm-hmm. still buying the ticket from the airline mm-hmm. company. And you can't themselves. resell it. And you can't resell it. Yes. Which which is interesting, right? And and I, I still think you could – the airlines could do things like that in a Web3 environment. Um, and we can maybe yeah. talk about that as well. But I think the, we can solve that though. Like I think we should be able to resell our airline tickets. Sure, but I, I I do think you know I I don't like an airline might want to put restrictions on that. So I to, I was going to say airline is one thing, and then um, but you have tickets the other way, right? Or like uh, sorry, everything's a ticket, um, like concert tickets, right? Are on Ticketmaster or StubHub and uh, or sporting events and things like that, and they are like you know if I buy like like Taylor Swift does not directly sell tickets you know she sells them through Ticketmaster, right and so they she has to go through that and i i do think you know when you look at nft marketplaces right i think um she would be better off doing that on you know through OpenSea or any of these other platforms because she can say hey i you know i'm gonna first sell these directly but then also if they get resold you know i'm gonna have a a royalty you know you know a, a one two percent you know so that it's not like this central entity that controls all the tickets the master of all the tickets ticket master right and they, they collect fees on every you know everything you want to do with a ticket um but if you you know you didn't mind if, if these things get resold you know you get a little cut of you know the profit someone gets if they do buy and sell it um yeah. i i don't i i think they're in a good position uh or they like 
music artists should be in in that position, right? It, it would really benefit them, um, you know, a lot more than using, um, you know, give some competition to Ticketmaster. Um, right. But then with airlines, right, if, if you do want to, uh, and that's the beauty of NFTs, the beauty of smart contracts, right? I could put restrictions, right? I could say, hey, you know, this can only be transferred through this particular marketplace or through this particular smart contract that where I, you know, either whitelist or blacklist people, you know, to say, hey, if mm -hmm. you do want to resell this, it has to be done through this. You know, it can't, you know, it's not like you can post your, you know, plane ticket to, you know, Dubai on OpenSea and, and anybody could buy it in the world. But, um, you know, maybe they have a special platform that's KYC or that's, uh, and still you're using Web3, you're putting, your personal restrictions and regulations because yes i like we're not decentralizing this airline company like they are <laughs> the airline company right and they they want you know yeah. they don't want anyone on the no-fly list to fly you know they want um i i don't know i imagine they'd want to yeah you could, you could code things, uh, applicable right? controls into the smart contract right? you can but that's the beauty of smart contracts and then i mean it's up to you to use them or not right exactly <laughs> yeah and then you know with the airlines whoever you know, buys the ticket, does the flight, gets a little kickback with uh, with some crypto bonus miles, which is actually sure. a cryptocurrency on the blockchain. Uh, I would not invest in it, though. Extremely volatile. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, Connor, I just wanted to touch on one of the other pieces that you were talking about with this was with recruiting um, in terms of, you know, getting people to work for you. And two resources that i i like a little bit um cryptojobslist.com and then jobs3.io i think are great platforms for posting jobs and i know that those sites get fed into other crypto job networks and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a crypto job in the sense of like a developer or um working for a crypto project I'm pretty sure you can post jobs on those sites that are just, hey, do you want to work for a company that is doing things the Web3 way? And I think that that would be applicable to uh, to the recruiting component of this. I think the biggest one is uh, Web3.career. I think that's like... That's another one the, too, yeah. That's like the standard in the Web3 world right now. But the only problem with those is those are just centralized centrally yeah. hosted websites that are offering jobs you know job networks it's, there's nothing particularly web3 about them i have some interesting thoughts on that world but uh, i think we can probably save it for another episode okay <laughs> no i just wanted to bring it up since it's a component to i agree yeah business it is something that is not really i don't think there's fully a solution for that either i think probably it's going to look something like nostra or something like okay. um you know, decel in that you need kind of that type of application. Like a decentralized social media lends itself very well to a a, a decentralized jobs network, kind of like a sure. LinkedIn, right? Um, I almost wonder if like um, you could have like a smart contract like bounty system, where like you know if, if maybe there's a way to prove that you develop this you know which then releases the funds from the smart contract. So then it's truly decentralized. It's yeah, whoever develops this can claim it right um you know i yeah. i don't know i wonder if there's um you know things like that 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 would be again, well really what we ought to be talking about for this discussion maybe we should just anonymous. do this like next episode is um just talk about how dows um basically acquire talent and coordinate mm -hmm. you know 
Jaws. There's 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 a project like out there that I heard on the Tim Ferriss podcast one time. I completely forgot what it was called, but essentially this guy was paying anybody in the world in crypto that could like do mundane tasks and all they needed was a computer and the question was like can you complete this task first and if you're the one that completes this task he would like give a description of the task and then basically the bounty slash reward was like x amount of bitcoin or x amount of ethereum i'll have to look because i used to be subscribed to it and it was really cool because anybody in the world had the opportunity to take a stab at it and if they could ultimately come up with the best solution or solve it they were awarded the crypto so it was it was, was a it done really automatically cool concept. With a contract like Matt what was talking about is it done automatically with a smoke contract or does somebody have to approve it I'm not. Well, could you submit the proof and then automatically get paid with a smart contract? That would be cool. Yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah, I so. think, yeah, I think they were just given kind of like the tools to work in it. And I'm not sure if it was a smart contract or if it was a Web3 thing, but they submitted it. And if it was deemed acceptable, they got paid in crypto. So it was just really cool because it was kind of like an Upwork, Fiverr ish, but. A little more decentralized in that anybody anywhere could take a stab at it and then anybody who g- gave the best results um got got paid for doing the service so yeah it, yeah. it was kind of cool i thought it was unique at least from a from a jobs perspective um i'll, I'll look up what that's called um t- to talk about in future episodes it, it was pretty interesting um yeah tim ferris has some interesting people on uh, author of four hour work week of what he's most known for so um his podcast he'll have some interesting web three guys from time to time kevin rose etc people like that so interesting stuff nonetheless but uh i think we i think we got uh i think we got where we wanted to go with this episode kind of you know at least stepping in the right direction in terms of how people can potentially apply web three solutions to uh their small business or their future small business that they could potentially have someday so um yeah good stuff this was a fun episode uh had a lot of good conversation on on this topic and uh, uh definitely there's going to be more stuff that comes out um from a web three solution standpoint that we'll be able to bring up and talk about i mean shoot like just what Noster has done in itself has been fascinating this year and all the entities that are surrounding that in terms of the that being created and we'll see what happens next i guess uh again this has been the crypto conversion podcast we appreciate you all for taking a listen watching us on the youtube if you've made it this far and uh we hope to see you on the next episode uh Yes, everybody, God bless, and uh, see you next time.